Hi everyone, Pamela Larg here, your host of the Energy Transitions podcast. If you enjoy listening to our bi-weekly podcast, make sure to hit the subscribe button and take a moment to leave a rating or review wherever you're listening. This will help us spread the message and connect with our community. Thanks again for listening to the Energy Transitions podcast from Enlit and Friends. transition is spurring an unprecedented wave of clean tech innovation. And an unprecedented amount of investment is required to bring this innovation to life. The market is bullish indeed, with S&P Global Commodities expecting global capital expenditure in zero-carbon technologies to surpass $700 billion annually during the next seven years. To unpack this rapidly evolving landscape, and the opportunities and challenges we can expect in the near future, I spoke to Joseph Giacobelli, managing partner of Bougie Impact Capital and host of the Asia Climate Capital podcast. Joseph talks about why China is leading the investment race and what technologies are making the biggest impact on our net zero journey. I'm Pamela Larg, and this is the Energy Transitions podcast. Joseph Giacobelli, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you today about a very interesting topic. It's a very competitive space, the, the clean tech investment space, and it's an ever-evolving ecosystem with many moving parts. Let's start by getting an understanding of this landscape. Talk us through these various moving parts and why a multidisciplinary approach is so important. First of all, thank you very much for having me, Pamela. It's very excited to, to chat with you, as always. From the perspective of climate business, climate investments, climate finance, I think one, one thing that is missing today in the landscape is an understanding that you really need to have a little bit of a general understanding of a variety of things. So, for example, you know, obviously we start with policy, which drives everything. I mean, if a government is not keen to have renewable energy, then you know there's nothing really you can do about it. Followed by this particular government putting in some institutions to facilitate the investments and the financing into clean energy. So this is pretty much 101, and you already know all of this anyway. But what is really necessary is a little bit of understanding on the technical side, technological side, logistical side, understanding of supply chains, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, you can have a team, but at the end of the day, the business leaders need to have a little bit of a kind of 30,000 feet understanding of each of these moving elements because it's changing very quickly. We could talk about this for several hours or days nonstop, but for the sake of time, if we just look, for example, what's happening with the term, just people are trying to understand what green investments actually is. And the European Union, for example, has made an enormous amount of work into what actually green actually means and what brown actually means, etc. So, and those definitions and terminologies are actually still, even now, they're still kind of evolving and changing. So not only it's a multidisciplinary approach, but on top of it, all of these parts are evolving and moving quite quickly. 
after that first comment, I have so many questions and we have so much to delve into. So I'm going to try and keep myself focused. Joseph, okay, firstly, you mentioned the policy perspective. So around the world, there are various policies that are advancing the landscape. So we look at the mm. Inflation Reduction Act in the US, mm. Net Zero Industrial Act in Europe. Mm. There are reports that China, however, is still dominating the space. So how important is policy? Where are the advances being made sufficiently or what more needs to be done? And if you can give us perhaps a regional perspective, you know, who is leading this race at the moment? I'll answer the last question first because it's an easy one, China. And their advantage, obviously, is that, you know, you've got one single government. Now, the way that things work in China is not so much the central government says the sky's pink and green elephants will fall and everybody believes it. It's a lot more complicated than that. Just like in any country, the government has to get the institutional kind of backing as to get the investors backing. Of course, they've got so many state-owned enterprises, their job is a little bit easier. But the process is not overly different from a European process or a US process. But what is very different is that both China and to some extent the EU as well has been very consistent, relatively consistent and transparent with its policy. So you're asking, the first question was, you know, why is policy so important? Because that's the signal that the markets need. It's the green light. Okay, we can go ahead and do it. So when a government is really committed to the energy transition, then investors obviously will interpret that signal as we can go ahead and invest. Another kind of very important level to this is that the stronger the signal, the stronger the commitment, then you lower the, your risk as an investor. Uh, as you and I have discussed before, Pamela, the, when you're investing into clean energy in general, the energy transition in general, you're not making investment over one year or five years. It's 20, 30, 50 years, right? So, you know, if you're going to put your money for that kind of period of time, you want to make sure that the policy doesn't change suddenly. And this is where kind of the U.S. has not done a great job because depending on the administrations, we've had very strong support towards the energy transition and some other administrations, including the Trump administration, for example, didn't exactly feverishly support the energy transition. And that's really bad for investors because then you don't know, you know, if all of a sudden the rules change and your investment may be worth a lot less money. So that hopefully answers kind of your questions on why policy is so important and which countries are kind of leading the charge. Thank you, Joseph. That did indeed answer my question. And it takes me to the next point that I'd like to focus on, which is the specific technologies on your radar. I would assume that these technologies have to present a sound business case that is feasible and represents the lowest possible risk profile. Talk to me about some of these technologies that you're seeing coming to the fore. Sure. First, let me just tell you one or two things about my own background. When I did work for in Asia, very large Asia utility back in 2008, 2010, 2011. And what we were looking at is, you know, brand new technologies with no proven track record, et cetera, et cetera. 
So that was part of my job then. Today, I lead a single family office. So we really only invest in stuff which is very proven. Actually, we only invest in public markets. So we only invest in companies, public companies, which will be using things like wind and solar. So I think the first strata is, you know, what makes investors more, most comfortable is those technologies that have got a long track record to a little bit of insult your intelligence, Pamela, just kidding. But the second level is, you know, technologies which are coming through very quickly, whose levelized cost of energy per unit of electricity produced is falling relatively quickly. Offshore wind used to be just a few years ago on the kind of like, call it middle ranking in terms of the developed technology. Now it's quite advanced. Um, now you've got floating wind turbines, and that's a little bit of a newer area, which companies are not really uh, adopting very aggressively as of yet. And then you've got the whole bunch of technologies which are coming up, and there's with that things like hydrogen, you know, green hydrogen, I should be sp specific about that. You know, green hydrogen is there, we can have it tomorrow morning, but the problem is cost. So you're per unit of energy. And then there's things like, you know, tidal wave technologies, et cetera. Those are coming up very fast, but number one, you need a few more years for them, for the case, for the business case to be really proven. And number two, most importantly, again, you go back to cost per unit of electricity produced. So as of today, I would only be looking at stuff which is really proven. In my kind of previous function, previous role, I would be looking at all kind of different technologies, but really would you park them in a corner, so to speak, because you can't really have major investments using, I don't know, tidal wave, for example. You can't have, you know, a 10 gigawatt tidal wave facility at a very attractive cost per unit of electricity produced. So that's really the way that we look at it. The mind shift needed really is for, you know, more investments and more adoption of these new technologies coming through. And then obviously, you know, the cost will come down as you got economies of scale and then you'll get more utilization out of them. Talk to us also a little bit about the trends you are seeing in the finance space. For example, trends in lending, equities. Explain a little bit more about what you're seeing. Yeah, sure. I mean, the way I look at it is in three different baskets. One is equities, two is fixed income, and three is lending. On the equity side, obviously, you've got the public equities. And as of today, we don't really have as much uh, of listed clean energy companies as we would like. If you take, for example, CLP Holdings in Hong Kong, a mainstream utility, a very large one, as of today, they haven't kind of spun off their clean energy arm as of as of yet. So as an investor, you don't really have access to that unless you invest in CLP, but then you're also investing in their gas-fired power plants and coal-fired power plants. Fixed income seems to be a little bit more, oh, sorry, on the equity side, you also got private equity. And obviously private equity can afford to have funds which directly invest into clean energy. And those really prefer, as of today, the big ticket items, you know, like big offshore wind farms, huge utility scale solar projects, and so on and so forth. On the fixed income side, as you 
probably know better than I, you've got green bonds or sustainability-linked bonds. So you can have a very specific fundraising for a spe very specific use of green investment. So on that front, if you go to people like the Climate Bond Initiative, you will see staggering numbers on the growth of fixed income on that side. Again, the nice thing about it is that there's very clear parameters on what is a climate bond and what is not a climate bond. So as an investor, you can you know, gather quite a bit of confidence. On the lending side, that's also going through the roof, but there the issue is a little bit of what we talked about before, which is the multidisciplinary approach, real lack of education. So when it comes to banks, you know, if you go to an average bank, and I'm not talking about the kind of huge ones like Citibank or so Citigroup, I mean, or HSBC, but more like the mainstream banks, it, there's not a humongous amount of expertise in there. So, you know, it's not like, it's a little bit like you asking for a loan in a bank in London for a property in South Africa or something. They just don't have that expertise. So they need to build that up. But financial institutions as well have net zero targets. Uh, they want to have a carbon neutral portfolio, many by 2050. So they're learning fast. So you'll see also quite a rise in green lending over the next few years as you know you get better education and also you know clear targets from the company from the banks i can imagine that these trends that you are seeing have been heavily influenced by some of the tumultuous happenings around the world of late and what i mean by that is obviously we're facing some geopolitical tensions which yes. seem to be escalating rather rapidly and, you know, we've got economic challenges, rising interest rates. We've got supply chain pressures as well, uh, liquidity crunches. How are these issues influencing this landscape? And perhaps if you could look into your crystal ball and tell us what you expect for 2024. I think the short term will be very tough for all the reasons that you mentioned. You've got, you know, higher inflation, which means, you know, higher costs. You do have supply chain bottlenecks et cetera, et cetera. I mean, all of the problems that, that you mentioned. So I'd rather look at it more on a kind of five-year view when hopefully a lot of these kind of geopolitical problems as well as, you know, the two wars that we're seeing right now, let's hope that the dust will be settled sooner rather than later for a whole bunch of reasons, not just clean energy. But I think probably the factor which is going to linger for a while is the high interest rates. And, you know, there's a lot of hopeful thinking on, you know, because the cost of capital is higher, so you require a higher return, which means at the end of the day, it's going to show on your cost per kilowatt hour and the cost per kilowatt hour that you charge. And uh, nobody wants to pay more for electricity. So to put a little bit of color on that, I like to use the example of EVs. Now EVs are very competitive against ICE, internal combustion engines, cars. And so you've seen the take-up rate rising tremendously. So if it's not attractively priced, people just don't want it. You will get a few people like myself going to buy an electric car just because you want to be great. But in terms of mainstream or the main market or main consumers, that that's just not going to happen. And when you're talking about electricity, whenever you try to raise electricity prices, 
usually consumers are not happy. So high interest rates, higher costs of production of renewable energy because of the all of the costs, as you know, are upfront at the beginning. You don't have much variable costs. So that to me is something that is going to linger a little bit longer. So in a nutshell, answer to your question, 2024, uh, very challenging year for all the reasons that you mentioned. One issue is going to linger is interest rates, but I'm still extremely bullish on the sector. Not so much because I want to be bullish because I you know, work in the sector, but really because if you look at where we were five years ago and where we are today, both on the business front, in terms of investing into clean energy, uh, how much new capacity has been put up, all the energy efficiency kind of structures that are appearing all around the world, et cetera. And where we are today, you've already seen a tremendous, tremendous change. And there's a lot of commitments from a variety of governments to continue to invest and continue on the energy transition. And another way I like to put it is, you know, the train has already left the station. Um, and if you didn't get on board, you probably missed the opportunity as an investor, but it's a very growing, fast growing market. I like how you say that the train has already left the station. Joseph, one final question. You are a specialist in Asian markets, and mm. I think it would be interesting just to delve into a little bit more detail. What are you seeing in the Asia Pacific region in terms of investments and market development? So I think Asia, I mean, today as we speak, Pamela, it's 50% of the world population, 50% of energy consumption, and kind of North America and Western Europe gains so much attention because there's so much noise there. And the difference is that obviously you've got so many different countries, languages, uh, religions, political systems, and so on and so forth. You don't really have one single united front. So... If you look at it into pockets, you probably got you know, China being one pocket, uh, India being another pocket, and ASEAN, let's not forget ASEAN, Southeast Asia, which is about 700 million people. So it's a humongous area. And the big difference with North America and the EU, Pamela, is that 85% or so of the electricity produced in Asia right now is from emerging markets, it's from emerging countries, emerging economies. So you'll see kind of two things. One is in Europe and in North America, what we're doing is mostly replacement. So, you know, when you replace a coal-fired power plant or a gas-fired power plant for, I don't know, an offshore wind facility or whatever. Whereas in Asia, not only you have a replacement market, but also you have the growth market. So, you know, China is not a developed economy. India is definitely not a developed economy. And those two countries alone is nearly... You know, three billion people. So you got those people are going to be needing, you know, more. Those countries are going to be needing more electricity as it goes forward. So you've got a kind of advantage in terms of growth that you can get in Asia. The growth has been coming, as I mentioned earlier in our talk. China is today the clean energy leader worldwide, just because of just numbers that it is installing are just absolutely staggering. And that's going to continue for the foreseeable future. So lots of very attractive investment opportunities right now in, in Asia. Definitely a space to watch. So we will be keeping in touch with you about that for sure. Joseph, any final remarks or thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners today? 
Yeah, I mean, think if anybody is working today for a utility or uh, some kind of energy company, you know, please do think of uh, the energy transition as a multifaceted, multi-sectorial, multidisciplinary uh, area and try to kind of get your head around all of these different pivots so that you can make, you know, much better investment decisions. So education is quite, is quite key. Well said. Joseph, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Pamela. It was great talking to you. And to our listeners, thank you very much for joining us today. Until next time. Visit enlit.world for more episodes and to sign up to be a community member for more exclusive content. Until next time.